clarify something. How many missionaries are here? I want to see your hands. All right, pretty good, pretty good. All right, everybody's a missionary, right? Whether, whether in our hometown or somewhere else. So let's keep that in mind. And um, we're going to talk about a couple of them that I know. What happened to your leg? I asked my friend, Laureano. He said, well, that's the story of my conversion. And of course, I had to hear it. He was a, he was a miner in the Bolivian Andes. He was a normal miner, and um, for the most part, he was hardworking and hard drinking. He lived a uncouth lifestyle. And he worked by himself in the, in the mountains, as many of those people did. And um, he was normal except for one thing. He had been raised in the Adventist church. But that was long ago and far away, and his conscience had almost stopped pricking him about his lifestyle. It was a normal day. He was working by himself a long ways from his hut in a mine way up on the mountain, and his hut was a long ways from town, and that's just how he liked it. It was normal until a large rock dislodged and came sliding down, throwing him against the wall of the mine. As the dust settled, he was relieved to see he had escaped death from this boulder. But as he tried to free his leg, it was stuck. His left leg was pinned against the wall, the bones were crushed, and he thought, I'm going to die here. We'll come back to him in a moment. Um, I want to talk about a familiar verse, John 14, 2. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Think about that for a minute. What would it be like if we didn't show up? He's there preparing a place for us. But there's another place. There's another place prepared for us. Does anybody know what that is or where? I stumbled across this in the parable of the talents in Christ's object lessons, and I was really struck by this. It says, not more surely is a place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. What that basically means is that every one of us has a place, has a special place. And your place is, God has a place for you that he doesn't have for anybody else. And um, that's, that's an important key because we're all missionaries, right? And we all want to know where God wants us. So we can trust him to show us that place, but what's, What's the hardest sacrifice about finding that place and working in it? What do you think? So I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I, was, I was at Andrews. I was taking aviation technology there. And um, about my second year, I got convicted that maybe God wanted more than just my tithe and offering. Maybe he wanted my time. It, had, it was the first time that thought had ever occurred to me. Maybe he wanted my life, everything. And so I committed at that point to go as a student missionary. I thought, okay, well that, I'll do my duty, right? So I committed and two years later I was finishing school and I thought, okay, this is time to do the student missionary thing, but I'm gonna be smart about it. I had just finished a degree in aviation technology and I was thinking, well, you know, I want to be a bush pilot in Alaska. I'm going to go somewhere where they have a mission aviation program, and I'm going to advance my career while I do my duty, right? 
So um, I started praying about it, and <clears throat> I had this impression that I should go somewhere was, that was the last place on my list, and that was Bolivia. As far as I know, they didn't have a mission aviation program. And um, long before that, I had said, I'll never go. I'll go anywhere except the desert or the jungle. And uh, well, God had sent me to Phoenix, Arizona for a summer, so he kind of broke that down. And then Bolivia, jungle. So here I was, and I was struggling against that. And um, I was dating a girl at the time who I later married, and she was praying about it too, and she separately. And she came to me one day and said, I think you should go to Bolivia. And I said, oh, no, I am stuck now. So anyway, I, I thought, well, I'll go to Bolivia. And um, I was wrestling with this, but God, why? Why would you send me somewhere? This is like, I thought it was like career suicide, you know? Going somewhere that didn't, where I'd be just doing whatever, menial tasks. And um, I was, I had a couple big issues. One was pride and the other was idolatry. I had really idolized aviation. And so God saw fit to, to, to take care of that problem. And the thing that kept running through my head over and over again was, you need to be willing to dig ditches and cut firewood. So this went through my head again and again. And um, I went to Bolivia and went to a mission school, called them up and said, hey, I'm willing to do anything. But it took a while to get to that point. So what was the hardest part? What is the hardest part of going where God wants you? What is the biggest sacrifice? The hardest thing to sacrifice? It's my will, my own will. C.S. Lewis once said there's, people, there's two types of people in the world. There's those people who say to God, your will be done. And there's those who say, my will is going to be done. And so that's the biggest challenge, to give up my will. There's a story of Naaman in the Bible. You remember Naaman, the Syrian, who was healed of his leprosy? And the, the prophet said, go dip in the Jordan River. How many times? Seven times. Why seven times? Naaman had an issue with pride and idolatry too, did he not? And God brought him all the way down, all the way down to dipping in that muddy river, that river. Not just once, not just twice. Seven times. And you guys know seven is significant in the Bible. It means complete, continual. He was, he was experiencing that full surrender of his will. All right, so what are we doing in Bolivia? Um, our, we felt a burden four years ago. Well, it grew over time. But anyway, four years ago, um, it came together, and we, we felt a burden to take the gospel to the most remote communities in the Andes Mountains. And so we moved to Bolivia, and through the grace of God, we, um, we got started there. And these are some pictures of the places we get to, to enjoy. We would take medical professionals into the villages, and they help the people with their physical needs, and that opens doors to reach their spiritual needs. So we work with, with all disciplines, um, all nationalities, and 
medical, Adventist medical professionals who want to go and make a difference somewhere. Spending time with the people. Basically, sharing the gospel has a lot to do with spending time with people. And so, ways you can find to spend time with people and gain their confidence, that's, that's where it's at. And times like this are what we live for there. This is, you know, we're sitting with this family eating in their little kitchen hut, and um, they have a chance to open up about more than just, you know, my foot hurts. And we also get to receive their hospitality, which is really neat. This lady's just fed the whole church group and um, from her, where she's cooked potatoes in the ground. This lady was an Adventist who lives a long way from any um, church group. And so we were able to, we were sitting there visiting with her one afternoon. And, um, actually got the pastor all the way into here, which is cool. So an, um, another cool thing we get to do is work with elders from, from national churches nearby. So there are Adventist churches in the area, and so, especially in the larger towns. And so we work with elders from there who speak all the languages, and, and they go in with us, and you know, they're often related to somebody, and so they have connections, and they're able to, to spend time with the people and talk the heart language of the people explain the plan of salvation in a deeper way. And that's where most of the decisions for baptism come out of their work. Here's the fruits of some of their labor there. This is a village of Hapo that we went, um, we went about four times, I think, with the medical team. And then we took the pastor with the medical team. And, um, and then he went back in with the elders and baptized seven people, so we have a new church. We're finding that our ministry, we, we, envisioned, we envisioned it being an entering wedge ministry, which it is, but then we're finding the pastor has 40 church groups, congregations, and no Bible workers, and so he needs backup, and he needs people to do discipleship, so we're working with these local elders and finding that we're coming behind as well as going ahead, which is rewarding. Here he is. Um, 25 years old. He's one of the first pastors in decades that's actually gone into these areas. Usually they stick closer to the city, so we're really blessed to be there at the same time as, as him. So this, this area that we're working, it's central um, Andes Mountains, central Bolivia, and there's a rich Adventist heritage there the Adventist message came in in the 1930s, and this used to be an Adventist church, and we found quite a few like this. The people don't talk about them until you really get to know them. We have to, this place, we were in there four or five times before somebody said, oh, we used to have a church here. We had no idea. In fact, they, tried, they almost kicked us out the first time we showed up. So um, we found that another part of our ministry is, is rebuilding these places, finding the members, you know, scattered, wherever they are, rebuilding the, the church group and then helping them rebuild their building and um, put a roof on it so it lasts. The, the reason they fall down is because they were thatch roofs. And so just a few years that rots away and the church is gone. So um, God's blessed us with a bunch of equipment, which is cool to get, get to these places. And it's typically like 10 to 12 hour drive 
um, in a four-wheel drive vehicle. So recently in January, we got an airplane down there that's able to get to these places and land near the villages, and that's just uh, going to be a force multiplier for what's already going on, helping get medical people in, Bible workers, and of course, medical emergencies also. Um, it could help with that. All right, so yeah, the travel conditions are challenging sometimes, and that's actually a video, Brandon, if you, if you click on it. That's the pastor there in the red coat <laughs> helping push this up. So um, anyway, the airplane's going to help with this too. And, and just we're looking, we really look forward to the discipleship opportunities there with these new members and also reaching new communities back there. And um, the medical volunteers are great. They, when we get to the end of the road, they often have to walk and carry the equipment. So um, they're valiant souls. And... When we're lucky, we have horses. So anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a place I love. It's a real privilege to be able to work there and, and see God working there. These are some villages there where you see the green. Those are villages where they have their, or it's two or three families living in each of those green patches with their sheep and a few cows, subsistence farming. So there's the terrain that the airplane covers that in one hour, which would normally take us 10 to 12 plus whatever hiking. And um, that's also a video, if it'll play. So it's equipped to land on like places that aren't runways, which is really handy. Gives you a sense of the terrain there. It always draws a crowd, too, which is <laughs> great. So my friend Laureano, so he's in the mine there, and night falls. He's trapped there, and he's sure he's going to die. Dehydration, infection, whatever gets him first. One chance in a million that anybody will hear him yelling for help. And um, he finds himself for the first time in decades praying. And he said, you know, God, if you save me out of here, I know it's impossible, but if you save me out of here, if you work a miracle, I'll go back to the church, I'll give it my whole heart, and I'll live for you. And probably a lot of people would say that in that situation, right? But in the, in the wee hours of the morning, of course, with his adrenaline rush, when the accident first happened, he had tried everything to move this boulder, break it, shift it, rock it, nothing, never wiggled. In the wee hours of the morning, he took a rock and he just knocked on the boulder this hard, split in half, and it let his leg out. And he said, that's a miracle. And to me, even more extraordinary than that is this miner kept his word. He went back, he found a church where he was working, which was away from where he had grown up, and he found a church, he got involved, he became an elder, he went to labor training, 
And he, he had a burden for his home village, which is this here, Choquetanga Chico. And so he started hiking over the mountain range to visit his home village there. Um, in the background, there are snow-capped peaks like 18,000 feet high. He would hike over and visit his family, who were some of the only Adventists left in this village. And um, this is what's left of the church he grew up in. So how I met Laureano is that I got a call from the pastor, and the pastor said, I have this elder somewhere back there, someplace I've never been, that says he has people ready for baptism. Can you get a medical team? Let's go in. So we got a medical team together, and we went in there, and um, we met Laureano, got to hear his story. And he said, at first he said, we need to keep this quiet. It's his hometown, right? And what's the hardest place to be a witness? Your hometown. Jesus said that, right? That's the hardest place. And so he was saying, let's keep this quiet. It's a medical thing, you know, whatever. So we were like, you know, you're the local expert, whatever you say. And the next morning he came in and he said, no, that's all wrong. He said, God's put it on my heart. Everybody needs to know why we're here. This is an evangelistic thing, too. And everybody's getting invited on Sabbath. So everybody was. Here's Laureano helping the pastor um, during the church service we had there. And, and the group that came to support and the new believers there amongst them. And seven people were baptized there, including his two of his older brothers. And um, just need to see the power of one person in their hometown. Where it's the hardest, the power of one person who's really on fire, who really is giving their whole heart and giving everything. So one last story. This is Florencia. And um, oh, you know what? Before we go on, Laureano wanted us to come back. And so May 28, what is that like? 10 days from now or something, we're going back into Choquetanga Chico. And he was already talking about the next bigger village nearby. We need to go there. There's a big mine there and everything. We need to go there. This is really important. I'm like, okay, okay. So we're going back and um, we'll get to spend time with him again and, and, and feel his passion. Um, this is Florencia. She, she was, here she is talking with the doctors as they eat their supper at 10 o'clock at night or something when they finally finished, the dentist finally finished the line at the door. And she was the only person, this was the first village we went to, and our reception was not warm at all. They stuck us in a room and said, we're gonna decide what to do with you. And she was the only one who offered to let us stay for the night. They were trying to figure out how to kick us out, but they didn't wanna send us out in the dark and then not know where we were because they had decided we were the Kadikadi, which is like a vampire demon that is per personified in people and will come suck your blood at night. So everybody was terrified. And, and she was the only person who said no. They said they're Adventist. I'm an Adventist from years ago. Her church has also fallen down. And she's, her and her mother are the only ones left. I like that. So um, anyway, she offered to keep us for the night three years ago when we first went in there. And she said, I slept like a baby that night. I was not afraid. I trusted that she had a sense. She had faith. And she said, my husband, he didn't sleep a wink. 
he put his worst dog, the one that bit everybody, right outside our door to make sure we stay there. And, and he still didn't sleep a wink. So that's Florencia. And the really neat thing about her is that this was also the first place I was able to take the airplane. And I flew over the village thinking maybe I can land in the village. I'd been there on foot, but it just wasn't going to work out. They need to cut some bushes down and stuff. So the village looked deserted, which is not uncommon. They'll scatter all over the mountainsides to graze their sheep in different seasons of the year. And so I thought, okay, the village was deserted. I saw one guy, and he looked really scared. And there was a cow kind of like near where I was thinking about landing, and I was flying low over it. And this guy runs over and grabs his cow, and he like takes his cow and runs away. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I flop to the mountaintop and I think, nobody will be here. I know there's some huts, but nobody will be here. It's the wrong season. And there's somebody up there flagging me down with, big, with their um, little rain ponchos, flagging me down, two of them. And so I landed and um, I needed to talk to somebody about bringing a medical team in. And so there's no cell phone reception. And Florencia is one of the first people to the airplane. It was, it was her flagging me down. And um, she told me, oh, that guy in the village that you saw, that was my husband <laughs> with the cat. <laughs> but um, just, so, so we were able to spend time with her. The next day we went, went in with a medical team and spent time with her. And she said, we need to rebuild our church. And my husband said he's game to help. So it'll be her and her mother. But people start to come out of the woodwork, you know, that really don't want to confess that they were ever an Adventist. And then um, the Holy Spirit is pulling on them, you know. And um, I know there's several more in that place. So just the power of a faithful witness, even in their hometown, whether it's the evangelistic fire or just simply her faith that, that was a witness. Everybody else was terrified. We got there the next day, and they were, the, the elderly women were like, you scared me so bad, give me something. I almost had a heart attack. I was hiding behind this tree over here. And, and Florencia wasn't with them, you know. She was up on the mountaintop. She wasn't afraid. They all were. Sometimes it takes faith to see reality, you know, which is kind of odd. But um, I just want to encourage you guys tonight. Everybody's a missionary, right? Everybody has, you have a special place in God's work. God has a special place for you, for every person. And these people are fulfilling their special place, you know, where God's put them. They're putting their whole heart into it. And that's an inspiration for me, and it should be for all of us.